Hi folks, welcome to the Epochs of the Lotus Eaters, where today I am joined by Bo, and we are going to be talking about the Iron Duke, Old Nosy, the Duke of Wellington, Sir Arthur Wellesley, because um, he has a fascinating life, and he is a fascinating man, and he, we were talking before we started recording, that there are some people who just have a kind of presence about them, they just kind of impose on the scene because of who they are and what they've achieved, and I think that Wellesley is one of these people. I think that there's no getting around the fact that you can see it in the paintings that have been done of him in his lifetime. The man's got the most serious countenance and clearly didn't suffer fools. And to me, that's the sort of best of British. You know, so <laughs> yes, that's, that's what I want us to produce. So He would have had a real presence in, the, in a room. Well, people said he did. Mm. And uh, yeah, there's no two ways about that. Mm. Um, yeah, the victor of Assay. He was fantastically famous in his own life. I mean, he became, well, yeah, like the, the victor of Vermeero, of Talavera, of Waterloo. Of lots of places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He didn't ever lose a big battle. He barely lost an engagement. Um, by the end of his life, uh, in an honor honorary way, he had like half a dozen field marshal's batons. Really? Yeah, people like Prussia or wherever yeah, yeah. would just make him a, an honorary field marshal. He was the most, he was the most famous military man of the early nineteenth century, easily. Mm. And perhaps only Admiral Lord Nelson eclipses him as in out-and-out -out hero stakes. Mm. Mm. Um, well, that's the thing; they're very different characters. Oh yeah, aren't they? yeah. That's the thing. N Nelson's a very romantic character, but what I like about Wellesley is he's not romantic. He's very practical, very serious, mm. uh, and he, get, he gets the job done. Not that Nelson doesn't, it's the two different approaches to achieve the same goal, really, isn't it? One of the things I want to say straight away is that I think I, I've said this a couple of times here or there, I said it for the Eleanor of Aquitaine one, about the lion in winter, mm. is that sometimes you get an impression of a historical figure from childhood, mm. um, and in fact it's not accurate, and it takes a long time, if ever, if you dis dispel that impression of them. Mm. Well, for me, and perhaps for a lot of people our age, um, in Blackadder the Third, Stephen Fryer, you see Stephen Fryer play Wellington in the last episode. Do you remember that at all? Not offhand, actually. I'm surprised I don't. Anyway, he has a, a small cannon jewel, absurdly, a jewel with very small cannons. Oh, yeah, no, I do. At remember, the very yeah, end. Yeah. 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 And anyway, Fryer plays Wellesley as like this bellowing bully mm. type guy. He's like he's just kicking people, and uh, just being an absolute tyrannical bully. Um, and he wasn't like that. No, uh, he was very harsh on some of his staff um, and his men. But he he was a gentleman. He wouldn't just scream in someone's face and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I, I think maybe there are different words. These are exacting might be. Yeah, uh, very exacting. Yeah, yeah. and uh, a thankless master as well. Yeah, like. Uh, a man with incredibly high standards, uh, upon whose shoulders rested 50,000 lives, right? So you can understand there's a good reason to have these exacting standards and to expect everyone to have done their very best at all times. Um, and I, I don't see this as being a mark of poor, poor character or anything like that. No. If anything, no. I see it as the opposite. I see it as a high character and something that ennobles the people that would have been around him, even though, as you said, he probably would have been very stringent on these things. Yeah. All I mean is that, like I say, in Blackadder Third, Fryer plays him as like a red-faced, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, like yeah but... kicking someone up, up the arse and yeah. shouting at them at a drop of a hat. 
he was like he'd be much more likely to just well he was he was very well perhaps pompous is the right word he was a uh, he was certainly um uh what's the word when you just look down your nose at most people condescending yeah so, superior yeah um so most people would just sort of you know just raise an eyebrow of disdain yeah rather than shout at you yeah but they, Although but then, sometimes he did, though. Sometimes well, I'm he, sure did. he did. I mean, um, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they had reason to. You know? Yeah, I'd well, probably been shouting a lot more than he did if I was in the middle of Waterloo and someone hadn't sent a message to the fifth division to move up or something. I'd be screaming, like so. You know, I. I <laughs> one of the, the so gone. So we, th this this though just speaks to a kind of comedy that has lost its place in history, though. Like, and it starts with sort of Monty Python and John Cleese. It's like, oh, look at me teasing all you stuffy old conservatives. And the the world that they relied upon for the comedy doesn't exist anymore. And so, you know, mm -hmm. actually, we would kind of like it if we had a few of the stuffy superior types who were ultimately responsible for everything they did and looked down upon people who were being frivolous. So you had the space to be frivolous. You know, they, pro they provided the borders. And this is the, the sort of just as a quick tangent. The, the Stephen Fry style mockery of the British in the 19th and 20th centuries, that's become very passe to me. Like, no, no, look, look where we are without them. Mm. You know, I would actually like all of those people back, please. Yeah. yeah. Also, the writers of Blackadder are sort of fairly hardline lefties. Well, yeah. So yeah. they love poking fun at, yeah. at our history. But I love Blackadder anyway. So yeah, so do, so do I. But, the, but <laughs> the point being, this has all fallen in it's a, it's from another era because those people no longer exist you know yeah but anyway so. so another quick couple of notes to say about just in general about the character of hmm. arthur wellesley uh or a quick thing to say about his name whether it's wellesley or wellesley yeah it's actually it can be both so originally his family was wesley right and then they changed it to wellesley and then in his own lifetime he changed it to wellesley why uh, <laughs> a few different reasons. Well, by the time he was ennobled, he became right. Wellington. Um, yeah. And his brother, his family were the, the, the earls of Mornington. So, you, yeah. The spelling was not standardised, even in the early 19th century. You could play that's fast and loose with yeah. spelling if you wanted to. No, that's a good point. It's only really quite modern where it's like, no, that's the one way you spell something, and mm. anything else is just incorrect. It wasn't like that necessarily. No, that's, that's um, a great point. I didn't even think about it. Um, but yeah, so on his, on his character, um, he was, as you say, sort of exacting. Um, and so he would sort of just look down his nose at, at the normal men. Mm. And on his sort of middling to senior officer corps, he was very harsh and would sometimes actually bellow at them, but very rarely. Mm. He was certainly very harsh on them. But for his generals... Um, he would never, ever berate them at all. If they did something really bad, he would just sort of maybe very, very mildly mention it whilst in mess yeah, and, not, and never remove them from command, or almost never, not never, but almost never. But th this has got the air of your parents saying, I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, where it's like, oh, that's even worse. Plus, at least in the Peninsula War, he didn't have the power to remove generals. He'd have to send right. a letter to horse guards and they'd have to formally do it. Right. Whereas with his captains and his colonels and his majors and things, he could um, move them around and replace them and things. So he's sometimes extremely harsh on them. Um, but yeah, I've got a couple of quick 
notes just in general about him um, before we sort of start on his actual life. Okay. Um, so, um, who's this guy uh, who wrote this? Charles Esdale um, uh, wrote a, an interesting introduction to the dispatches of the Duke of Wellington. So the Duke of Wellington didn't write an autobiography or keep a diary as such. He was a bit busy, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Um, but what he did do is write lots and lots of actual letters and military dispatches. And then they were nearly all saved. Mm. Um, and there's thousands and thousands of them. Even a book that thick is they, only a tiny number of them. Were they published in newspapers or anything like Not that? Not at the time, but afterwards. No? Right. Yeah, so they were kept within the family. Right. And then like the second Duke or the third Duke, because um, the Duke of Wellington's family is still going now. But his son or grandson sort of published them all in the late 19th century, I believe. And anyway, they, they're sort of almost better than a diary. I bet. Because quite often it's um, a day-to-day -day mm. thing, and you get a really good impression mm. of the person. Also, after, at least after Waterloo, he was so unbelievably famous that anyone that came into contact with him uh, sort of wrote about it or remembered it yeah. and in their memoirs. So there's actually, even though he didn't keep a diary, loads of material on him um and and one of the things um sir charles oman talks about uh, next episode i'm going to read a long quite a lot a few pages long quote from oman about his character mm -hmm. when at the beginning of the peninsula when when he was about 40 years old and that will go into great detail about the contradictions that he was both sort of a perfect soldier mm -hmm. a perfect servant to the crown in some ways in other ways, unbelievably cold, and um, it was pretty horrible to his wife, and, and all sorts of things. But what Charles Oman says, writing at the very beginning of the 20th century, the very, very end of the 19th century, he says that until that point, no one ever criticised him, basically. Mm. It was just not done if you wrote a history of him or a biography of him. You just omitted the defaults of his character because he was so famous. Mm. He was such a hero. It's like, you know, writing something about Nelson and saying, actually, he was a bit of a dick. You know, you just don't do it. You just don't do that. Yeah. And that's not the case. Everyone loved Nelson. <laughs> but the thing with um, Wellesley is that you just, uh, it took almost 100 years, mm. or, you know, well, 50 years anyway, from his death, to, um, before anyone would sort of start being completely honest about, about him. But um, that does go to show the amount of presence that the man mm. contained, though, right? The, the, if, you're, if you've got a kind of charisma that can make people want to not say bad things about you after your death <laughs> for 50 or 100 years, mm. then you must have been a very impressive person, whatever your defects. Speaks volumes. I mean, yeah. he was sort of... Um, of course, there's a lot more to Napoleon Bonaparte's story, mm. but in a way, you can sort of argue that it was Wellington that beat him. Mm. The Peninsula War, uh, along with the Russian campaigns, broke Napoleon's back, mm. and then it was Wellington at Waterloo that finally, finally defeated him. So, and quite often in wars, it's the ending that people remember most. Yeah. So it's like, he saved us from the Corsican monster. Mm. He saved us from... The little French tyrant. Well, in a way, I, I don't see how he that's saved wrong. Europe. He saved the world. 
That's not necessarily wrong. Though. But yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. If if I mean if they'd lost at Waterloo, it's entirely possible that Napoleon could have recovered his strength. Maybe who knows how it would have gone. You know, yeah, who knows? He had a hundred thousand, sure. you know, Frenchmen at his back. He Napoleon can do a lot with that. So you know, who knows? Yeah, who knows? It's entirely possible that it, you know they did save Europe. So one thing I mentioned to you before, and I think we was talking completely differently it was a completely different subject i think maybe it was something with stelios about the roman empire and we were talking about there's sort of a couple of ways you can be a commander in chief in the field mm. one you can sort of delegate things nearly everything to your generals or your sort of senior colonels and say look this is our general plan go get it done i have full faith in you or you can micromanage every single thing they do mm. and don't allow them to really think for themselves ever. There's two ends of the spectrum there. So Wellington was right at that end of the spectrum, well, like a really, really extreme example of that. Say, no, don't do anything without my orders. Right. And he micromanaged everything. So I've got a couple of quotes here. Um, um, Arthur said this himself. This is him speaking. Nobody in the British army ever reads a regulation or an order as if it were to be a guide to his conduct or in any other manner than an amusing novel. And the consequences is that when complicated arrangements are to be carried into execution, every gentleman proceeds according to his fancy. That must have been frustrating for him. <laughs> the thing was, that's an exaggeration. Yeah. Um, but that's how he felt. Yeah. Um, He's, he, you can tell he's like, no, I gave you specific and clear instructions to go to this hill and do whatever, and you didn't because you felt like you w didn't want to. Yeah. You, know, I can, you can feel the frustration coming through that little passage there. But do you think you know better than me? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um, but it was taken to sort of extreme lengths. So there's one yeah. example in, again, The Peninsula War by Charles Omar, where someone really senior... Um, Arthur Wellesley was sitting down for a portrait by Goya and one of his senior it was someone I don't think he was a general but um, one of his senior colonels came in and he had to take his initiative and retreat his men from one town to another to prevent being cut off a few thousand guys being cut off it was absolutely the correct thing to do 100% the correct thing to do and it's one of the very few examples where Wellington m went mad at him, shouted at him, said, who controls the army, you or me? And the guy was like, but... but I just saved a few thousand guys. Yeah. And a few weeks or even a few months later at a dinner party or something, the same colonel came up to Wellington. I was just, I'll just call him Wellington, mm. um, <laughs> even though he wasn't went until much later. Sure. And said, do you remember when you chewed me out the other day for something that was obviously the correct thing to do? And Wellington was like, yeah, all right, it was the right thing to do, but it was just luck that it turned out to be the right thing to do. Don't ever do anything like that again. Thanks, Arthur. So I've heard him see, uh, described more than once as a thankless master, and that is exactly that what it is. sounds about the right, yeah. And he didn't really have any close friends particularly. Mm. One of the closest guys, uh, Crawford, General Crawford, who fell at Waterloo in the end, all during the peninsula, every now and again, would attempt to be familiar with Arthur, and it was always just snubbed and 
and cold <laughs> shoulder. <laughs> so he was a cold fish. Um, mm. um, Esdale goes on to say this. Um, to contempt for many of his officers was added contempt for all of his men. As is well known, Wellington was devoted to the noose, the lash and the punishment parade, scornful of notions of democracy and political progress, obsessed with the concept of order and inclined to regard the mob and by extension his soldiers with a mixture of fear, despite and loathing. Nothing, uh, also something that is all too typical here being his description of the raw material of his British troops as the scum of the earth. Whilst uh, the remark may well have been qualified by the admission that service in the army had in the end made them, quote, fine fellows, nothing can hide the prejudice in respect of the lower classes that it reveals. Under Wellington, indeed, few members of the rank and file could expect much in the way of re reward. Uh, recommending deserving sergeants for a commission was not unknown to him. In fact, he did so on a number of, of occasions uh, when he wished to grant a mark of favour to regiments that had particularly distinguished themselves in one battle or another. But he did not like the idea and was famously inclined to caution against it on the grounds that the men concerned were unable to fit in with society in which they found themselves and ended up ruin ruining themselves by turning to drink. One can perhaps go too far here. Wellington uh, could recommend men for promotion uh, but could not actually commission men himself. Again, he'd have to send back to horse guards for that. Uh, as he complained, I who command the largest British army that has been employed against the enemy for many years and who have upon my hands certainly the most extensive and difficult concern that was ever imposed on any British officer have not the power of making even a corporal. Um, that is strange though, isn't it? It is a bit. You'd think he would have the power to do that. Yeah, well, but, he, he sort of does. He just has to formally do it. Right. He has yeah. to send back to yeah, but you think army it, headquarters in London, horse guards. He should be able to do it by fiat on the battlefield because yeah. he is the commanding officer, yeah. the commanding general. But that 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 quote is, I, I, it's always always taken out of context, like the, and it's always only given half. You know, oh, we, the our, our men are the mere scum of the earth, and mm. then obviously, you know, Wellesley hates the men. Yeah, he does, obviously. In, you know, um, but the 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 other half of what fine, but what fine fellows we shall make of them um, is always left off. You know, cause it was mentioned there, wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. mentioned there, obviously. But yeah. in other, in other, context. yeah, quite often people deliberately leave that yeah. bit out. Yeah, and it's like, look, he's yeah. not saying there's no path to nobility or like mm. moral, you know, uh, moral standing. But to be honest with you, a lot of the people in the army probably were kind of like the scum of the earth. Mm. You know, <laughs> like it. It wasn't. It often wasn't the gentlemen of England who were joining the first regiment of foot or something. You know, mm. like it, you know, often these were not the greatest of people. And this is one of the things that I think is it really characterizes the kind of English view of the world, which is like Cromwellian warts and all sort of thing. You know, there's a there's a definite lack of romance, but it's not necessarily cruel or unfair. You know, and it, it's the you know even though there's a bit of a bite in the phrase, there's also a bit of sort of sweetness at the end, where mm. it's like you know it's it's not the worst, you know, and, and there's a, there's a there's something about it that kind of appeals to me actually. I don't know why. So a few things on that. One, um, yeah, sometimes people convicts were given mm. a choice: it's deportation to Australia, yeah. or, join or you army. can join the army. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so you get a lot of yeah, a lot of uh, really dodgy characters, but also. <laughs> 
quite often younger people would join up out of genuine patriotism. Mm. Um, there was even quite a strong uh, Christian religious thing that people would join up for king and country, God, king and country, mm. and that they were the, the opposite of convict types. They were extremely good and moral. Um, but <clears throat> although that quote about the scum of the earth, he actually qualified it by saying, but we sort of turn them into good men. There's also loads of other quotes yes. in life where he says, no, they're all drunkards. They joined, there's one quote he said <laughs> much later in life because he was only, what, in his 40s or 50-odd after Waterloo and he went on to live for many, many more years. He lived to be really old. Mm. And so there's decades more of people just asking him things all the time and asking, and anyway, there's quite a few quotes later in life where he said, no, they all join up for rum. They're all drunkards and they only joined for rum and that's it. People are like waiting for him to qualify it. And he didn't, he didn't, he doesn't. The thing <laughs> so, is, right, there's probably some truth to that. Maybe. You know, I'm <laughs> just saying that, that it's probably not entirely inaccurate mm. that a lot of them do drink a lot. Yeah. And if half your army's made up of convicts, you're probably like, yeah, well, you know, you, I, I can see how the uh, perception is not exactly the best guys. And it mentioned there that he sort of liked the, the noose and the lash. No, oh, I agree with that. Um, I would say extremely so. Right. Even by the early 19th century standards, where life is pretty damn harsh, even so, it's sort of, it's almost medieval sometimes. Mm. Um, so like sometimes you could get, you'd be ordered to have like 200 or 500 lashes, which is death. 500 like yeah. yeah yeah it's yeah. death and the order would be that after the man has passed out and or died you keep lashing him until they're all done so you're literally well, like got, flaying got a, job to do. a dead body yeah. got a job to do boy. Uh, 200 lashes a 200 lash <laughs> now there's a few times where the british army the british army is actually in the scheme of things very very good for this but there's mm. still some examples when we did it when we get into a town after a long, particularly bloody siege, they go berserk. Yeah. Pillaging, raping, murdering, all sorts of things. And he would stop that by a few hangings, get a few provosts, uh, like early versions of military police type thing, mm. and hang a few guys mm. and put an end to it. So in those situations, his being a, a, a martinet, being a sort of stickler for the rules. Disciplinarian. Disciplinarian, yeah. yeah um, is sort of, called for and perfect and great, mm. but he'd go much too far with it sometimes, in my opinion, or in mm. lots of people's opinion. Um, but, well, he did what he did, but it's still sometimes sort of crazy, crazily, like medieval level harshness. Mm. But yeah, to keep an army in check is... Um, yeah. Um, another quick quote here. This is from Charles Oman, actually. He said, um, it is certain that Wellington never trained a general who proved himself a first-rate exponent of the art of war, but this system was not calculated to foster initiative or self-reliance upon his lieutenants. Uh, given the quality of some of Wellington's generals, this is understandable enough, because uh, some were great and many weren't. So Some bought their commissions right, yeah. because they weren't exactly talented. You can only buy so far, but you can buy really high up, but you can't buy an actual generalship. Nonetheless, at that mm. point, well, just their nepotism takes over yeah, anyway. If, so if the pool of options are from 50 guys who have all bought their commissions, the lieutenant or whatever, okay, I'm going to have to pick the best of them, but, mm, mm. you know. 
So he had a handful of great guys by during by the by the Peninsula War. Mm. I mentioned Crawford, uh, Daddy Hill. There's, there's loads of them actually. But he also was sort of lumbered with a good handful of complete, pretty much inept. Yeah, like someone's cousin. I can't. Is it Sharp or, or something like that that you get? See, there's a scene of that. Yeah, I think it's in Sharp, isn't it? Where he's yeah. like dealing with like idiot dandies who Simonson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I remember enjoying that a lot. And, yeah, and really, you know, feeling, you know, how he, you know, he's surrounded by idiots. No, I, I'm not surrounded by idiots. But like I can imagine being in a position where you don't get to pick the people you want to be with you. Then that can be very frustrating. Um, I I love Bernard Cornwall's Sharp series. I've read all the books and some mm. of them many more than one time and i love the tv adaptations yeah, with sean right. bean as sharp and that is probably the best scene in in mm. it all when when wellington chews out simon simonson simmons or simonson i can't remember i can't remember but it's great um yeah, yeah. Well, I, I i haven't thought about that scene for years and it's just <laughs> instantly brought to mind um uh but omar went on uh but it cannot be felt uh, that his own attitude contributed greatly to this problem. To quote the cavalry brigadier, Robert Long, a great deal of mischief arises from the absurd mystery and secrecy observed upon occasions which produce considerable embarrassment to executive officers without a corresponding advantage to the service. So not only did he want, not want men, senior officers, acting on their own initiative, he wouldn't even tell them what they were doing in the field, what the grand idea was. Right, it's just yeah. go here and do that. Yeah. Don't worry about anything. Don't even ask me what anything else is. It's a secret. Um, <laughs> uh, that same officer, uh, Long, Robert Long, cavalry officer, said, uh, to ask where to go or to halt is high treason. Consequently, your ignorance upon these subjects uh, prevents your taking such steps as might anticipate embarrassment of various descriptions. If general officers are not entitled to some degree of confidence, they are and must be ciphers in the army. He just wanted you to be a robot. Yeah, I was going to say, right, it, it really sounds like Wellington just wants to be playing Rome Total War. That's what it really sounds like. Go here and do this and don't do anything else. Literally, you know, I'll command that, you know, and then we'll get the victory. Well, like what's a little bit annoying is that when he was a junior officer, he didn't, he wouldn't accept that. He was always trying to use his own initiative. Yeah. Always. Yeah. So. There is hypocrisy there. It's, yeah, but I mean, it's also kind of weird because you'd think that, okay, so I've got a couple of guys, smart guys. They can see things on the ground I can't see. They're aware of things I'm not aware of. Like the guy just saved 2,000 men. Uh, I'd reward good initiative for, you know, valiant service. But well, well, well. Very occasionally he would, like Crawford and Hill, um, to, in the Peninsula War, he would give some leeway to, mm. but nearly always not. Like even to, to ask where where are we going? What's the mm. general plan of what we're doing here? Um, there's a quote from from Waterloo, where on the morning, um, uh, I can't remember who it was. Somebody asked him, "What is the plan for today?" And he said, "Don't worry, don't worry." About it. He said, "If I thought, uh, if I what was the quote? Something like if I thought my hat knew my thoughts, I'd throw it away or something." That's not quite the <laughs> That's not quite the quote, but it's yeah, something but like that. I guess the spirit of the thing. Yeah, if I thought my hair knew my thoughts, I'd, I'd get rid of it. <laughs> anyway, something like that. Um, so, I mean, I suppose the, the argument of, well, you don't want the plans being leaked to the enemy and things like that. Well, that is his thinking. That is exactly yeah. his thinking. Yeah. It's all to do with that. Yeah. Right. It's not that he's such a control freak that 
yeah, it's to make sure that the enemy yeah. don't know, have no way of knowing, yeah. literally no way of knowing. Yeah, because literally no one around um, me knows what my plans are either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one last quick quote here before I sort of start getting into his actual life. From Richard Holmes, the TV historian who's passed away now, but I, I love him, he's great. I'm sure you'd know who he is if you saw him. Um, he, said, he said this about that pretty much a flaw, really, I would say, in, in Wellington's character. He says, all this reinforced his tendency to trust almost nobody and to do everything himself, uh, producing the symptoms of what we would today call a control freak. Mm. So he micromanaged everything. Yeah. Everything. I mean, it's, it seems like he's such a highly strong person, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, okay, well, I mean, on one side, I can, I can say, well, understandable. Look how, look at the responsibility on his shoulders, mm. right? And he's obviously a very smart chap, very uh, astute and concerned about his duty. And so if he's looking around and thinking, well, uh, none of these people have the same sort of concern for what we're doing that I do, then maybe uh, it feels justified to do it. Mm. Mm. So you did see in the British Army a couple of times sort of really bad, pretty much disastrous levels of incompetency. Mm. And yeah, he'd vowed to himself from very mm. young. If he ever got into senior command position, he just would not allow that sort of thing to happen. Mm. Um, like a complete lack of logistics or just a complete lack of sort of tactical or even strategic awareness. Um, so he would... When he got his shot mm. um, as, well, a, a battalion commander or regiment commander, and in the end, commanding whole armies, um, he just would not allow that to happen. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the things that uh, characterizes him is that he would, a, a meticulous eye for detail, not let anything go, mm. which is great. That, was what, that is what you would want. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, be- better that than some slovenly uh, near-do-well commander who mm-hmm. gets drunk the night before mm. and doesn't really care about uh, the details and just trusts the fate and goes, right, okay, just charge. We'll, we'll see how it goes or something like that. I'd, I'd much rather a, a Wellesley. Yeah. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.